Hi, everyone. Good evening. So um, let's sit for a bit and then we'll talk for a little bit, okay? So please get into a comfortable position. The sitting tonight will be, um, the first half will be very abbreviated um, partial body scan. Um, and the second half of the sitting will be um, just an awareness practice using two or three different anchors. Um, if you haven't uh, done that kind of practice before, you're not sure exactly what I mean by that, don't worry. Um, I'll explain as we go. So please just get in a comfortable position, position in which you feel alert but relaxed, in, in which your breath can move freely. Your front side isn't smushed over, you're not bent over. The belly and the chest can move freely. And to begin, just let's take a few deep relaxation breaths to settle into the moment, breathing in slowly and deeply through your nose, feeling your whole upper body just fill up with air, nice and slow, and exhale just as slowly through your slightly open mouth. Breathing in through your nose and out through your mouth in this way for the next four or five breaths. Now let your mouth come to a close, breathe in and out through the nose. And now let the breath come and go at its own rhythm and pace. That may be quick and shallow, slow and deep, or somewhere in between. And your breath may be uneven. One breath may be quick, one breath may be long. And that's totally fine. Try as much as possible to let the breath just breathe itself, however it wants to breathe. And now let's begin the body scan portion of the sitting by bringing our awareness to the very, very top of our head. And just feel the sensations there at the top of the head. We're not trying to do anything to this part of the body. We're not trying to manipulate it. We're not trying to change what we feel. We're just noticing, just being aware of whatever sensations there may be in whatever part of the body we're examining. And right now, the top of the head. I feel a little bit of tension up there in my head, a little bit of pressure. What do you feel in the crown of your head? And you don't need to find words for it. The key is really just to feel the sensations as sensations. A lot of what we feel is very difficult to put into words and that's totally fine. Now bring your awareness to your forehead. 
just a part of the face that we can scrunch up when we're anxious or thinking a lot, frustrated, worried. So you may feel some residual tension from different ways in which you tense these muscles up throughout the day. Just be curious how this part of your face feels. Now, how about your eyes and the soft tissue around your eyes? And then your jaw muscles, the muscles that you use to chew. It's very common for people to carry a lot of tension in these jaw muscles. Some of us even grind our teeth at night. Our muscles here are so tight and tense. And when you encounter sensations in a part of the body that are uncomfortable, like tension or even discomfort or pain, it's very, very natural for the mind, for you to want to make them feel better to somehow relax the muscles, to change how they feel. Notice that tendency, which is very natural, then see if you can just notice it as a tendency rather than identifying with it. Let's see if you can just let whatever you feel be. No need to change anything. No need to do anything, just notice. Now let's bring our awareness to our tongue, which is actually a set of muscles combined together. I think there are eight muscles that make up the tongue as a whole. And like any muscle, the tongue can carry tension. And so to begin, just notice how the tongue, your tongue is situated in your mouth. Notice the sensations around the tongue. Then now bring your awareness specifically to the tip of the tongue. Do you feel any tension or any other kinds of sensations in the tip of your tongue? How about the big meaty middle part of your tongue? And then the back end of the tongue. Now bring your awareness to your lips. Another part of the face that can tense up when we're anxious or worried or upset but which can be so soft and open when we're feeling joy or love or happiness. How are your lips feeling right now? Let's bring our awareness now into the front of the neck, the throat area. Can you feel any sensations in the throat that are associated with the breath? Any movement, even subtle movement in the throat as you breathe in and out?
And can you feel any other kinds of sensation in the throat area? For me and some other people I know, the throat is a place where we can carry a lot of tension, tightness, often elevated when I'm feeling anxious. What kind of sensations do you feel in your throat area? Now let's move our awareness a bit down to the sternum or breastbone area. And feel the way the breastbone, the center of your chest moves as the breath, your breath moves in and out of the body as your chest rises and falls. Sometimes the center of the chest can feel so warm and open. Again, when we're feeling happiness or joy or love, or gratitude, this part of the chest can feel just so soft and tender. But it can also feel sometimes so tight and hard, almost like a wall. And sometimes when we're filled with sorrow or grief, the chest can feel so raw. Notice how the sensations here in the center of the chest change, even if just very, very subtly throughout the course of each in-breath and out-breath. Don't assume that the sensations you're feeling in any part of the body are static. Really look moment by moment. Are they exactly the same, these sensations moment by moment, or is there a slight change? Does it feel the same at the very end of an inhalation as it does at the very end of an exhalation. Now let your awareness widen out to feel the rib cage as a whole, and the movement of the ribs as you breathe in and out. Feel the sensations in and around your ribs as your lungs fill up with air. Now let's bring our awareness down a bit into the belly area. And just explore, let your awareness just explore the belly, feeling the sensations in the belly associated with the breath, but also all the other kinds of feelings and energy that are often swirling in the belly area. And notice too the way the mind sometimes feels aversion 
to some of what it's aware of. Maybe it feels discomfort or some kind of feeling it just doesn't quite feel totally comfortable with. Notice the way that the mind tightens up around those sensations, tries to push them away. Maybe even compelling you to distract yourself with thoughts, fantasies, just to get away from what you're feeling. Notice the subtlest movement or impulse to move away from how things are. And see if you can just stay with the present moment as it is, the belly as it is. And it's okay if the way the belly is, is tight or uncomfortable. If you don't like how it feels, all of that is okay. It's okay for it to feel that way. It's okay for you not to be okay with that. All of it is okay. Now please let your awareness swing around to the back side of the body to the lower back. And feel the sensations in the muscles, the tissue around the spine in the lower back. Some of you may be having thoughts somewhere along the lines of, hmm, why isn't this feeling better? Or why is this so difficult? Why doesn't it feel this other way that I expected to feel? Just notice those kind of thoughts and gently, gently come back to the body. Just notice those thoughts as thoughts. They're no problem. And just return to the task at hand, noticing how the body is feeling. Can you feel any movement in the lower back associated with the breath? Might be very slight, very subtle. Notice how it feels to breathe in the lower back. Now please bring your awareness to your upper back, especially the area between your two shoulder blades. And how does the breath feel in the upper back? How do the shoulder blades move as you breathe? Or the tissue between the shoulder blades?
Now let's bring our awareness to our upper arms, from our shoulders down to our elbows. And then our forearms, the elbow to the wrists. And now let your awareness explore how the wrists themselves feel. You notice any tension in the wrists? Now how about the back sides of your hands? in the palms of your hands. And then your fingers. So for the last 10 minutes of this meditation session, we're going to transition to something I call three-point awareness practice. We're going to bring our awareness to three different areas of the body, or three different points of a focus, and just see if you can hold all three areas in your awareness simultaneously. So to begin, please bring your awareness back to the breath. Choose either the belly or the chest, or both if you like. Just feel the rise and fall of the belly or the chest as you breathe, the sensations of the breath. And remember, let the breath breathe itself. You're not manipulating the breath. There's no right way for the breath to feel. Even if your breath feels tight, constricted, just notice that feeling. That's how your breath is right now. So just feel it. While you continue feeling the breath in this way, please open your awareness to include the sounds in the space around you. Not grasping after particular sounds, not listening for particular sounds. You're just opening yourself up to all the sounds around you at once. And see if you can follow the breath and listen to sounds in this way, simultaneously. If you have trouble, following the breath and listening to sounds at the same time, just gently 
move from one to the other at a leisurely pace. And once in a while, see if you can hold both in awareness simultaneously. Now please add a third anchor to this practice along with breath and sound. Include in your awareness the sensations in your hands. The point of this practice is not to feel the breath and the hands and to hear sounds and nothing else. The only way you can hold this many points of awareness simultaneously is to have a kind of open awareness. So you will feel necessarily sensations in other parts of the body. At the same time, you'll also probably notice thoughts. You'll feel the sensation of the air on your skin. That's all fine. In fact, that's part of the point. It's just to have a kind of open awareness. And we're just using these three anchors, breath, hands, and sounds, as a way of staying present, the physical reality of the moment. Whenever thoughts pull you away, never get lost in fantasy, just notice that you've become distracted and bring your awareness back to breath, sounds, and your hands.
No matter how you're feeling, how the mind or the body is feeling. As long as you are aware of it, as long as you're here feeling it, present to it. You're practicing beautifully. There's nothing to accomplish, nowhere to go, no particular way to make yourself feel. Just about being here with your life as it is right now. Okay, everyone, thank you. It's good for this first sitting. Please move around, be comfortable. Okay, so <clears throat> I want to circle back to Lily's question last week, um, which was, I mean, I'm not going to remember the exact wording, and I, I think that's okay, it's um, because it's a, it's a kind of question that I've gotten often, which is sort of like, how do you do this without any sense of a goal right, or purpose? Um, why would you do anything um, without that, but also I think especially something that's probably like challenging as practice obviously can be. Um, and, um, and I said a few things and, and I'll, I'll probably repeat some of what I said last week in the course of my remarks tonight, but I wanna take a very different angle um, in responding tonight to that question, which I, um, and as I suggested in my email, I think I wanted to give a, um, like, begin tonight by actually sort of crediting the notion that having some kind of goal is important. Um, and, um, and that it's, it makes sense to want to have a, a sense of what we're doing this for, what we're trying to get out of this. Um, and, um, and so, even though I think I have often said that it's, um, it's good to try to cultivate a non-goal-oriented attitude towards practice. Um, and um, there, are, there are clearly things we're trying to get out of this, right? We're doing this for, for, for reasons. And, um, and I think those two thoughts um, may seem contradictory, but they're not. And I think it's important to understand how they go together. Um, so I think there are a lot of different reasons why people practice or drawn to the practice. Um, and I think it's actually would be good for all of you to reflect um, on why you practice. It's not easy sometimes. A lot of the time it's not easy to do. So why do you do it? Why, and is it the same reason that you had when you started out doing it? Um, I think one thing that's very common, I think um, perhaps inevitable, is that um, we get drawn into something like this for certain reasons, but those reasons change as we gain more experience and we start to get a better sense of, of what this is all about. Um, so I would be curious later if there's time to hear some of your you know, thoughts about why you practice, why you did start practicing, why you practice now. Um, but um, I think I'll just list off, I think, a uh, few things that come to my mind, you know. And there are times in the past where I've asked 
this group at the beginning of sittings to sort of set an intention to, to articulate to yourself an aspiration like why and i think it's 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 a good thing to do so it's not as if i've completely neglected this idea that like there are things we're trying to accomplish by doing this together you know but in the actual nitty-gritty of meditation practice i've often emphasized the letting go of all those goals and but um you know that to only scratch the surface of some of the reasons why you know i think i do this why some other people i know do this why people have done this over time um just to be a better person you know um to feel like uh, we can be more open-hearted with others more generous with others um so we can be more present to our lives not so distracted right or present to other people kind of goes along with the being open-hearted part you know this also goes along with the idea of um sort of not being so full of ourselves we're so focused on ourselves right um they're all kind of intertwined um those are the ones i'll probably focus on tonight um but there are many many others one is i just might want to i'm just like tired of feeling so anxious all the time you know i want to feel a little bit calmer um that's also probably connected to the other stuff too because when we're caught up in our own anxiety or ruminations it's hard to be present with our life hard to be present with others right we end up causing suffering for not only ourselves and other people around us but there's also the great matter of life and death you know as the, the zen tradition likes to put it you know we're going to die um all of us and um and not for everybody, but for a lot of people, I think a lot of people are drawn to this kind of path that brings up some pretty intense questions, right? Given our finitude, given the finiteness of our lives, um, the fact that we, you know, don't have forever to live, like, what is, what's, what is the right way to spend the time that I have, right? Um, what is the meaning of all this, given that it's, you know, in the big scheme of things, like a flash, right, in the night, right? Um, how do I fit in to this whole thing around us, right? This, the universe, like, what is, what is my place in this, this huge mystery? Um, I think these are, these kinds of existential questions are, I think, some of the deepest ones that often drive people to practice. Um, you know, like, not just what's the point of practice, but what's the point of life, you know? Um, so those are just some of the kinds of things I think that, um, that drive us to practice, that we are um, either, you know, I think they're kind of interconnected, but we're looking for, I think, some kind of clarity, some kind of illumination about what is the, what's the best, the right way to be, right? Um, how can I uh, live in a way that feels meaningful? Um, not just try to, you know, survive, not just get by, not just do what everyone says needs to be done in order to, to um, make it in this world and to, to scrape together a living and all that, all that's important. But beyond all that, like what, 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 um, what, what's the meaning of all this? I think um, practice traditionally has been, I think, a way to get some kind of illumination um, into these kinds of very, very deep questions. Um, So I'm going to bracket, I think, the, 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 the deeper existential questions. So I think they actually are really at the, cent the heart of the matter. But, um, and I'll, I'll circle back to them at other times. I've touched on them before. But I think I want to focus um, for now on just the kind of maybe a little bit more like down-to-earth um, aspirations that some of, has, some of us have, which is to be more present to be less self-centered, less, less like sort of full of ourselves to get over ourselves and um, to open our hearts 
more fully to the people in our lives, the people around us. And I think those are um, things that practice can definitely help with. You know, um, by the way, all of these things I listed are not things that I'm raising as possible motivations for practice, which I'm then going to somehow um, say are mistakes. Actually, I think that these are these are all things that drive people to practice. They've all driven. Everyone is something I speak. I'm speaking of from my own experience, my own first person sort of experience of this is why I practice. Um, and they are all things, every single one of those things I mentioned, things that practice helped me with. I think some of those questions, those deep essential questions aren't things that one just settles, you know, just come with a final answer, but they are things that practice helped with, you know, even if it's helping one live with the mystery of life, you know, it doesn't necessarily always mean answering those questions, but finding a way maybe to live with the questions, right? Rather than find them oppressive. Um, so I think it's important just, I, I, it's important for me. I felt it was important to say, there are things that we want out of this. There are things that draw us to this practice that we want to get and it's okay. And that these are actually, um, I'm, I think that um, they can be really powerful motivators um, that can nourish our, our engagement with these practices, especially when they are challenging and difficult. When practice feels good, when sittings feel calm, when your heart feels open, you don't need a lot of motivation. Though interestingly, sometimes people find it harder to practice when they're feeling good. They start to feel better and then they stop because they, oh, that's all I wanted, <laughs> to feel a little bit better. And then, but then the, the beautiful thing is, I don't know if it's beautiful or not, but life will intervene and you'll start to feel bad again, you know? So you'll come back. And then you start to realize, oh, okay, if I keep doing this like pendulum swing, I'm just gonna be back, I might as well just stay, you know? Um, but it's still, it's hard, I think, to practice when you're like, wow, this really does not feel good. It's, I really don't want to feel this way. Um, and I think it's really, really beneficial to have a sense of the bigger picture, you know. Then when you, it gets, like, then when you hear someone say, oh, there's no goal, there's nowhere to go, it's pointless, it's useless. You're like, well, what the hell? <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, I don't need this to feel this bad. Like, I already feel bad, right? Um, so, um, so I think it's it's actually really important, I think, to, to have some kind of sense of like, what is, what is the thing that I'm aspiring to? Um, and that will keep us going. Um, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with having that kind of aspiration to hold tight to it. Um, and, um, and so I think one of the reasons why I wanna say this tonight is because in case there's any sort of suggestion that, oh, if you have a goal or have some kind of sense of a point or purpose that you're making some kind of mistake, no, no, I think it's actually really important. And, you know, Zen is actually one of the branches of, of Buddhist practice, which has put a very strong emphasis on the kind of pointlessness of practice, you know, the, um, or as Barry Madges said, the uselessness of Zazen. But, um, and for reasons that I've already explained and we'll say a little bit more about tonight, but, um, but every other major tradition in, in Buddhism is very clear that we're looking for liberation. We're looking for freedom. There is a goal, right? Um, and has always held out not only um, that goal, but even images of what it would look like to realize that goal, right? As kind of motivators. As, so, um, so Zen is a little perverse, I think, in the way that it kind of says like, no, no, don't even think about that. Don't even think about what's coming up. Just, just worry about right now. But, um, but it's for a purpose, and the purpose is um, is to kind of help us understand um, the the reason the Zen is like that. And I, you know, I I think I I think I've come to appreciate a little bit more in recent years um, the ways in which my own training in Zen really does shape the way that I talk about meditation practice. Um, you know, I think I've gotten a little bit more clarity on the how like someone who was trained in Tibetan or Vipassana tradition would actually sound like different. Then I, I, I draw from all the different traditions, as you know, I mean, I offer practices that come from all over the place. I, um, and I think I'm, I've, I've learned a lot from the other traditions, but I think actually I, I really am 
a Zen practitioner. I was a, I'm a Zen student, and I, I teach in a way that's very much shaped by that that background. Um, and I think one of the places you really see that most clearly is this focus on, um, you know, um, this this like the practice of goal as goalless as without it was as not oriented towards achievement of something. Um, but I think it's a really wonderful aspect of Zen. And it's one of the reasons I hold to it. It's not just because I've been trained in this way, but it's because I actually think it's one of the deepest, most like beautiful parts of the Zen outlook. Um, so, but I think it requires this understanding of how to take those kind of statements. Um, and so remember that when someone in a very traditional Zen setting, Zen training situation is said, let go of goals, don't try to get anywhere, you know, um, have no expectations. They are surrounded often in a kind of, of uh, like usually a monastic setting, right? Um, with all these kind of rituals and, 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 and interactions with teachers and other students and talks and iconography, all this stuff, which is constantly reinforcing that this is going somewhere. You know, like there's a point to all of this, that the larger setting of, of, of that kind of training is constantly emphasizing that you're part of this tradition that's always um, upheld, like liberation, compassion, the cultivation of certain kind of qualities of heart and mind as the point of this so-called pointless practice. But when you're in the cushion, you're constantly, it's like you know, someone like metaphorically or sometimes literally whacks you on the shoulder and says like, but let go of any kind of goals you might have, right? Um, so the, the reason, I, I guess like not, not the reason, the way to understand this idea of the goallessness of practice is as um, a task rather than as some kind of statement about the nature of the path. You know, it's not, um, it's, it's basically practical guidance for how to work with moments of desire or goal-oriented thinking or expectations when they arise, when you're in the midst of meditation practice. Right. It's not saying in the big picture, you're not trying to do this for some reason, right? We are like, you know, one of the things that Zen, Zen students will hear um, in, the, in the context of like a retreat or living in a monastic or temple setting is, you know, they'll, they'll make these vows like um, sentient beings are numberless. I vow to save them, right? Um, uh, delusions are endless. I vow to um, to uproot them, you know. So there's this constant, you know, uh, reinforcement of the sense of like there's this these are big picture goals, right? That, the reasons that we're doing this kind of practice. But when we're on the cushion, the key is to somehow let go of all of those future oriented, goal oriented thoughts. And so, um, so the trick is really holding, I think, that bigger picture in mind while cultivating on the cushion, this nitty gritty moment by moment sense that you know, expectations or goals are going to get in the way of the practice that we are doing. Um, and so think about um, I mean, those things I said, like being present, opening our hearts to others, right? One of the key things that that interconnects connects to both of those is this this kind of obsessive concern we have with ourselves, our egos, right? Um, the reason that we have so much trouble being present is because we're constantly thinking about ourselves. We're thinking about what we want, right? We're thinking about um, what we're afraid of, um, whatever it may be. We're thinking and we're thinking about ourselves and often in different ways. And the reason that our hearts are not as open as we know they often can be to others is again, because we're caught up in our dramas, we're caught up in ourselves. And um, one of the key ways that our obsession with self is fueled 
is both created and nurtured and sustained is through the ways that we relate to the world um, as an array of things that we either want or don't want, you know. Um, there's a line from a uh, sixth century Chinese poem that I've often cited in this group, uh, Seng San. It's, um, his text is called Relying on Mind or Faith in Mind. And the first two lines of that poem are, I think are really wonderful. They epitomize a lot of what I'm talking about, which is the supreme way is not difficult. It just precludes picking and choosing, right? That's all it is. He goes on to speak for many, many more lines about the nature of the path, but really saying all just boils down to, can you give up picking and choosing? And um, one of the interesting things about this, this couplet, these first two lines of this poem is, it's easy to hear them and to think that what Seng San is advocating is that we somehow purify ourselves of our impulse to pick and choose, right? To like to, to somehow overcome our attachments and aversions. And then that, that we somehow become a better person if we did this. But the, the truth is actually a little bit more subtle, a little bit more strange, a little bit deeper than that. The reason that picking and choosing are the primary things that Seng San is picking out in this text is not because he's asking you to somehow purify yourself of these impulses of attachment aversion, but because picking and choosing or attachment aversion when we identify with them, that is what constitutes the experience of self in the first place. That is what actually makes us feel like a self. That is what gives rise to the illusion that we are a self that is somehow set separate from facing a world that we can see as an array of things to either hold on to or push away. You know, so it's not about purifying ourself and becoming a good self by not picking and choosing, but recognizing that picking and choosing is what gives rise to the sense of self in the first place. And so on the cushion, when we have moments where we say, oh, I want this experience to be different. I want to feel this, not that. I want my practice to get rid of this kind of emotion, but give me more of that kind, right? When we engage in those kinds of moments of picking and choosing on the cushion, next time you feel those kind of moments, notice those kind of moments, really pay attention to how does it feel to identify with a moment of, I pick this, I choose this, or I don't want that, I push that away. What you'll see is that it gives rise to a kind of sense of self, self, selfness, or uh, it gives rise to a sense of identity, like, and this is, I think, the real deep insight of Buddhist psychology. It notices that like, when you identify with thoughts, the, the person that is having a thoughts arise at the same time, they go, they emerge together. It's not that there is a self that is having, it's like the stable that's having a bunch of different thoughts moment by moment. But whenever we have a thought and we identify with it, that co-arising with that is a sense of identity or ego. And if we can notice a thought and not identify with it, then that self sense of self doesn't naturally arise. Of course, it takes some time, I think, for us to get that, that kind of sort of sense that, oh, that's just a thought, that's just an emotion, right? But that's the essence of the practice that we're engaged in, is 
It's like we use these anchors like the breath, sounds, our hands, not because there's something like somehow super good about staying focused on these kind of anchors, but they give us this background where we can start to sense the way when we're pulled away. And that's really the point. He says, okay, so when I'm focusing, let's just simplify it. When I'm just focusing on the breath and I'm pulled away by this thought, can I see it as just a thought? Can I just be aware of it as a thought? Or do I either hold on to it, identify with it, believe it, or try to push it away in this kind of spirit of aversion? When we do either, and they're, they're just flip sides of the same dynamic, right? I mean, I've said this over and over again, but it's like aversion seems like the opposite of attachment, but is just as caught up in believing the truth of this. You only push away things that you think have some really power, have some like solidity to them, right? A negative emotion that you don't actually believe, identify with, believe to be true, you have, there's no need to push it away. So by pushing it away, you're showing that you actually like are, it's, um, it's like a, it's 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 the, it's the opposite of attachment, but it's the same. It's just another version of attachment, right? Um, and so, when you can just see a thought or an emotion or a sensation as just a thought, emotion, and sensation, then the sense of self that arises when you identify with it doesn't, and that thought or emotion or sensation can just be in awareness. And like all things that arise in awareness, it will eventually pass away. You know, it may hang out for a bit, but it will pass away. Um, and so if we want to be more present, if we want to be um, more open-hearted, more generous, more kind to other people, the key thing that we're doing in practice that will help us achieve those goals, right, is to just begin to see sort of the contents of consciousness, our experience, moment by moment experience, as just passing phenomena, right? Not identifying with, not picking and choosing. And so whenever we hold on to a thought about how meditation practice is supposed to feel, how we want it to feel, or what it's supposed to get us, where it's taking us, what kind of person is making us become, right? These are all moments when we are allowing the sense of self to solidify and identify with um, different thoughts, pictures, because of course, expectations, goals, et cetera, are just thoughts, right? In the context of practice, they are just more thoughts. And so in the context of practice, the way to achieve these goals, right, of open-heartedness, presence is to let go of any expectation of where this practice will take us. Um, so this is how, um, even though in the big scheme of things, we're obviously doing this practice for certain reasons, we're trying to cultivate certain states of mind, certain attitude towards ourselves and other people, on the ground, in the moment of meditation practice, one of the most important things we can do is to um, let go of the kind of goal-oriented thinking that will just actually create, as it were, like the meditating self, right? It will just create an identity of me, the practitioner, trying to get this out of practice, right? Which will actually then be counterproductive for getting the, the kind of spiritual goals that we're searching for. Um, so this is the, this is the reason why um, I th Zen teachers are always talking about letting go of goals and expectations, not because they don't have any when it comes to the, what practice is hopefully doing for them and for their students, but because the way to, um, as a, I mean, it's like it gets tricky. I mean, the language gets tricky, right? But like the the way to to, to 
to progress, right? The way to deepen one's experience of presence, deepen one's um, experience of connection with others, actually to not try to accomplish any of those goals is to really just see all of those desires, all of those kinds of pictures we might have of how this might change us, what we're trying to do, to let just see them as part of the passing show, not hold on to them, let them go. Um, Let me, um, it's a little bit late, it's 8.34, but let me just, let me um, pause and just say, I mean, does anyone have any, I know this is, I'm not, I'm not so sure if this was clarifying or just more confusing, um, but let me ask if anyone has any questions, just like just trying to understand what it is that I've been trying to get at. Um, yeah. I'm just gonna, I'll pause here and say, does anyone have anything they'd like to ask about? I'm not sure, it might just make, might be very simple and might make perfect sense to people. Um, but I also can imagine that it might be confusing too. And I'm, I'm honestly not sure, yeah. Okay, I think then then maybe I'll pause here. I think um, there are other there are a lot of other sort of angles to these kinds of questions um, and this this issue that I was talking about tonight. I think one important one that I'll just like throw out there but not talk about tonight um, is the way in which um, often the kind of positive pictures we have of where we'd like to go with our practice, the kind of person we'd like to become, often carries with it a kind of surreptitious sort of desire that some part of who we are be different than it is now, or that we somehow not, we not be the kind of person we are, or that a part of us that we don't like somehow would go away, you know? Um, and so, you know, like if I wanna be calm, it's because actually I can't stand the anxious part of myself, you know? Um, or I want to get rid of the part of myself that's afraid you know, feels fear, or I want to get rid of the part of myself that feels a certain kind of desire, which I don't feel is acceptable, you know, socially acceptable or something. And so um, not only is, is the holding on to expectation goals, like I want to be this kind of person, potentially problematic when it comes to practice, because it, um, it kind of perpetuates attachment to something out there that we're trying to hold on to and then like um, solidifies our sense of self with respect to that. It also often involves trying to get rid of some part of ourself, right? And so um, insofar as practice is also about trying to accept the wholeness of who we are, right? Not trying to get rid of any part of ourselves, not, not to create any kind of inner dualities, not saying I want this, but not that. It's another form of picking and choosing picking and choosing among different parts of ourselves. I like this part of me, but not that part. And so many people are drawn to practice for those reasons, right? There's certain parts of their personality they wanna get over, they wanna overcome, they wanna get beyond. I think it's also another real good reason to look very carefully at the way expectations arise in the course of meditation practice. Because what you're often getting is interesting data about what part of yourself are you rejecting? What part of yourself are you trying to cut away, right? And then the work is not successfully overcoming that part of yourself, but often the work is going to be actually learning how to accept that very part of yourself. I think circling back to a few weeks ago, I think this is one of the deep lessons of what Tony Packer said to Joan Tolson, right? It's like anytime you try to overcome a part of yourself, you're just creating a battle between two different sides of yourself, right? And so, if practice is really about nonviolence, deep nonviolence within the self, right? Or put positively, it's about love and acceptance of all aspects of ourself. Then moments of expectation 
are really interesting. They give us really deep clues about what is it about myself that I'm not ready to accept, that I don't want to see, that I don't want to make room for. So um, anyway, so expectations are really cool moments. They're really cool. When you see them arise, frustration, expectation, like I want things to feel this way. I'm frustrated not feeling this way. You're, you're, you are learning something very, very valuable about the mind, your own mind. What is it that's not ready to accept? And what, what is it that is, is clutching after? Both things are things just to notice, just notice. And when you can begin to notice those expectations, moments, expectations, that's just thoughts, that's just desires, then you'll start to see that, oh, you don't need to do anything about that. You know, becoming non-goal oriented isn't something you make yourself become. You start to learn to relax in the attitude towards practice by actually just paying very careful attention to the goals to the expectations, right? Just notice them. And then those expectations, those goals will of themselves begin to relax. And you'll start to feel what it's like to just sit, you know, without needing things, wanting things to be some other way. Um, okay, sorry, this was, this was rather long tonight. Um, but um, uh, yeah, anyway. Mm. That, that's stuff on my mind. Okay, so I will, um, I will look forward to seeing you all in two weeks time, all right? Um, it's late, so maybe, um, I don't know. How about if you, if you were late, if you feel like it's late and you wanna go, go for it. But um, I, I, I'm happy to sit for a minute if anyone wants to hang out with me for another minute, okay? All right, so, but good night if you need to go. Okay, bye-bye. Bye, Stefan. Okay, I'll tell you guys when a minute is up. Okay. Okay, everyone. Thank you for hanging with me. And I look forward to seeing you all in a few weeks. Okay, good night.